Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Luke 16. Occasionally, when I am doing a funeral, I'll walk through the cemetery and just look at some of the tombstones and read some of the wording on the different stones that people have there for their uh, grave marker. It's interesting what people will write on their tombstone. Perhaps you've heard about the message, one man left, it simply read, Paul, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby stopped and read that tombstone, and he took his pocket knife, and underneath those words, he wrote these words, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. And I want you to understand this morning, there are only two directions one can go after death. The Bible says that when we die, we will either go to heaven and be with God, or we will go to hell and live for eternity without God. Now, people don't like to talk about hell. It's understandable. But can I just say you can't talk about heaven and not talk about hell? If you read the New Testament, all of its 27 books, you will find that Jesus spoke on hell three times to every one he spoke on heaven. Southern Baptist evangelist Freddie Gage observed, if there is no hell, the Bible becomes a book of blunders a book of lies, a myth, a fairy tale. If a man accepts the cross of Christ, he must accept the dogma, that is the doctrine of hell. If there be no hell, there can be no heaven. D.L. Moody said, the same Christ that tells of heaven with all its glories tells of hell with all of its horrors. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said preaching that ignores the doctrine of hell lowers the holiness of God and degrades the work of Jesus Christ. Dr. W.A. Criswell, former pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, said if you say there is no hell, you say the Bible is not the word of God. Friend, we're living in a generation that doesn't want to hear about hell. There are a lot of people who do not want me to preach about hell. There are a lot of churches that you can attend and you will never hear a message on hell. They say if you preach on hell, you will alienate people and run them off. So most don't deal with the subject. I want to say this morning, I'm not preaching about this subject primarily so that lost people will be saved. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I prayed all week as I worked on this message that there would be someone here who's lost and hears the truth about hell who would this morning give their heart to Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand that I'm preaching this message this morning so that believers, those of us who've been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ for some time, will become so burdened over that one that God has placed on our heart who is without the Lord Jesus Christ and is headed for an imminent hell that we would stop at nothing to make sure that they have a chance to hear the gospel and repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. If you haven't already, look here, take your Bible and look here in Luke 16. We find a very familiar parable of Jesus, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or as I've called it, a tale about hell. This parable speaks about the terrible end of those who live only for the gratification of sinful lifestyle, their selfish desires. Their good things might have profited them during their earthly life, but they had betrayed God's trust, and as a result, hell would be the consequence of a misused life. Let's look and see what Jesus says in this parable. Beginning in verse 19, he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And here's what I want you to take from the message this morning. Some folks will spend eternity joyfully in heaven. And sadly, others will spend eternity painfully 
in hell. Pray with me. Father, I pray that your word would be received this morning by your people. And God, that we would understand it was never your intention to send anyone to hell. That hell was not prepared for people, as the word says, but it was prepared for Satan and his demons. But because man fell into sin, we too are destined for hell, apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, your son. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. And Lord, that we would come away with a greater appreciation, a greater sense of humility as we stand before you knowing that the only reason that we have any hope of going to heaven and being spared in eternity, separated from you, is your grace and your mercy. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus ought to make us much more concerned about the one that God has laid on our hearts, that we're praying about as we think about who's your one. Who's the one that God has put on your heart? That family member, that neighbor, that friend, that coworker, that person that means a lot to you, but you know they don't know Jesus Christ. And why is it so important that we become concerned about those people in our lives that are lost and who do not, do not know Christ? Well, I think we can look here in Luke chapter 16 about this experience of the rich man and Lazarus, and we can see why it's important that we be used by God to help save that person or persons from an eternal destiny separated from God. There are two things about hell that I want us to see here in this parable that Jesus gave to his disciples. First, I want you to think about the horror of hell. Now, in this parable, we read about a rich man who died, and he found himself in a place called hell or Hades and he was in torment Hades is the place of the unrighteous dead hell is the lake of fire the final place of punishment that is spoken about in Revelation chapter 20 to put it in practical terms Hades is like being held in the county jail before being sentenced to a lifetime in prison. So we find Abraham, or we find this rich man in Hades, awaiting his final destination in hell. But the two are basically the same. They're just uh, distinguished a little differently in that um, this is the place where the unrighteous dead go after death. And this man finds himself, he's, he wakes up and he finds himself in Hades, in hell. And I want you to see two things about the horror of hell. First of all, he finds that it is a place 
of pain. Now look again in verses 23 and 24. The pain in hell will be twofold. It will be both physical and emotional. First, note the physical pain. The rich man, look in verse 23, it says he was in torment. You see, hell is a place of great physical pain. Jesus said on one occasion about hell in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, there worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Hell's torment makes it a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Worst of all, there is no hope of relief for hell's inhabitants who the Bible says have no rest day and night. Their sentence is eternal. Jonathan Edwards, in his classic sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, said this about the fire and the pain of hell. He says, the pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit has opened her mouth under them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Friend, according to the God's word, hell is a place of great physical pain. But I want you to notice that besides the physical pain, there is emotional pain associated with hell that may be even harder to bear. Look again in verse 23. It says, the first thing the rich man felt was the torment of the fire, the physical pain. But the next thing he noticed was that he could see into heaven. Look what it says. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now to every Jew, Abraham's side was a byword for heaven. The rich man looked up and he recognized Lazarus at Abraham's side. He knew Lazarus, the poor beggar who had come to his door begging for food. He knew Lazarus was in a different place than he was. He was in a place of torment. He was in a place of pain. He was in hell. But Lazarus is by Abraham's side. Therefore, he knew Lazarus was in heaven. Friend, besides the fire and the physical pain of hell, I believe one of the worst agonies there will be the ability of people to see those who are in heaven. Can you imagine a lost husband seeing his saved wife in heaven and knowing he is in hell? Unable to reach her, unable to ever contact her again, unable to ever have anything to do with her again. Imagine a lost daughter seeing her parents in heaven, knowing she will spend the rest of eternity 
in hell, separated not only from God, but from her parents or lost parents in hell, looking up into heaven and seeing their son who got miraculously saved and came to know Jesus Christ at a point in his life, not because of anything they did. They rejected Christ. They didn't go to church and now they see their son in heaven. And them spending eternity in hell. Or a lost friend seeing a saved friend that they used to love and hang out with. And then that person got their life turned around. God in his grace called them to himself. And now, here they are, separated from all eternity. And I believe one of the real horrors of hell is recognizing those in heaven who made it and knowing you didn't and then realizing you will never be with them again. Like the rich man, we need to lift up our eyes towards heaven. But listen, I suggest you do it now and not wait till it's too late. Look up to heaven and see that godly grandmother or that godly mom or that godly dad or that godly sibling or that godly friend or that godly Bible teacher, that Sunday school teacher or that person who had an influence on your life and who tried to get you to see the truth of the gospel. Look up to heaven now when there's still time for you to change the course of your life by giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This rich man looked up to heaven, and I believe one of the horrors of hell is emotionally, he looked up and he saw those people that he knew in this earthly life, and he realized that they were in heaven. They were comforted. They were joyful. And here he was in torment in hell. Hell is a place of pain. Second, physical pain and emotional pain. I want you to see in the second place, it's a place of regret. Look in verse 25. In verse 25, we see Abraham's reply to the rich man's request. He said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. You see, death completely reversed their situations, and now Lazarus was being comforted in heaven. The rich man was in agony in hell. He had chosen a life of proud self-righteousness. He had chosen a life of uh, materialistic pleasures, and he was content living his life apart from God. He was his own man. He did his own thing, and he was proud of it, and he enjoyed many things that this world has to offer. He rejected the true righteousness of God, and now he's enduring the eternal consequences of his choice. Friend, people in hell will carry their memories with them. There will be a lot of sad regrets in hell. 
I believe that those who wind up there will remember every sermon they ever heard. I believe that they will remember every time a parent or a grandparent parent tried to share with them the love of God and the truth of the gospel and the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for their sins. I believe they will remember every time a friend invited them to church, every time an invitation to respond to God's call was offered and they refused. You know, there are times we wish we could erase our memories like we delete an email. I went through a bunch of emails yesterday as well, we got back from vacation. I tried not to look at any emails and answer any emails. So therefore, as you know, they just pile up. And so you just go and you just delete. We try to do that with our memories. We want to just erase the memories from our uh, mind. But in hell... We'll never be able to erase our memories. It'll be a place of eternal remembrance. It'll be a place of regret. Friend, if you're here today and you die in your sins, can I just warn you? You will recall these exact words that I am speaking from God's word. You will remember the Sunday that you sat at Cornerstone Baptist Church and you heard a sermon from Luke chapter 16 about the man, the rich man who died and went to hell and Lazarus who went to heaven. And you will remember the contrast between the two. And you will remember at the end of this service, the Spirit of God saying to you, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why won't you let him come in? And if you reject Jesus' gift of eternal life, you will regret it forever and ever and ever. Friend, can I just say to you this morning, God loves you. It is not God's desire to send you or anyone else to hell. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Look at it up there on the screen. Then he will say to those on his left, apart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. Look at this. Prepared not for lost people. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You know why lost people are going to hell? It's not because God created hell in the first place for lost people. He created it for the devil and his angels. And the reason that lost people are going to end up in hell is because they chose to follow Satan and his demons. God loved you. God loves you. And God does not want to see you or anyone else spend an eternity separated from him in a place of torment that the Bible calls hell. God loved you so much that he sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to save you from your sins. Can I ask you a simple and direct question this morning? What else does God have to do to get your attention? The fact that he would give his own son to die in your place. To take your sins, all of them, not just most of them, all of them. To take all of your sins, to take them on himself. And to give you in exchange his righteousness, his perfection, his holiness. 
So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sins. He sees the perfection, the righteousness of his son. And based on that, God says, I accept you. I've adopted you into my family as one of my sons and my daughters. That's what God wants to do in your life. Friend, if you feel the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, let me just give you some advice this morning. It's not because you decided you wanted to turn in faith to God. That's because God in his love decided on his own to knock on the door of your heart and to seek after you. And he did it because of sheer grace. Not because you deserved it, not because I deserved it, not because any of us deserved it, but because of his love and his grace. I'll just say this, you do not want to wake up in hell one day with painful memories of rejecting Jesus that you will regret for all eternity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God may have called you here to this place so that you could settle this once and for all in your own life. Why would you ever put that off and take that chance? We all know there is no guarantee about another tomorrow. We love to live and plan as if we're going to be living for years on end. But we all know that that could change just like that. We have no, we have no guarantee that we're going to wake up tomorrow and be in the same situation that we are today. We have no guarantee that we're going to go through tomorrow without God come knocking and saying, it is your time, it is my time, and we're gone from this life into the next. Friend, why would you ever take that gamble, take that chance when God is offering you the opportunity today to receive Jesus Christ? One of the horrors of hell will be living for all eternity with regret. I want you to see in the second place, not only the horror of hell, but the hopelessness of hell. Now, let's just keep reading. First of all, I want you to look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 11, uh, verse 7. Look what it says there. The other day in my quiet time, um, on I forget which day of the week, it was whenever the 11th was. Was that Thursday? Thursday? Friday? Anyway, I came across this verse in Proverbs chapter 11 when I was doing my quiet time reading through Proverbs chapter 11. Look what it says here. When the wicked dies... The unsaved person, in other words, his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth. In other words, his hope in riches perishes too. The rich man in this parable is a perfect example of the truth of what Proverbs is saying right there. When the wicked dies, when the unsaved person dies, his hope perishes. There is no more hope. And the expectation of wealth, his hope in riches perishes as well. Now look, the rich man makes two requests that we see are denied. First he asks for water for his thirst, 
Look in verse 24. As the horror of hell hit him, as the torment and the pain uh, began to be so unbearable, look what he says. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham far off, Lazarus' side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. The rich man was not used to asking for help. After all, he had servants. He had everything he wanted. He, he didn't need for anything when he lived on this earth. He had probably been, never been desperate in his entire life. But now we see he is crying out for mercy. As Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar, once longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table, now the rich man is longing for just one drop of Lazarus's water. But Abraham's reply dashed the rich man's hopes. There was no way to send him help. Look what it says in verse 26. Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Here Jesus is revealing that death permanently fixes everyone's destiny no one will escape hell nor will anyone in heaven be able to visit hell abraham tells the rich man that his physical and his spiritual agony cannot be relieved after death it's too late to change your eternal destination your condition is forever hopeless now the rich man's prayer for relief goes unanswered the horror of hell was not going to end for him. His condition was hopeless. And I believe that the real thirst the rich man had was not for water, actual water. I believe that he had what the thirst that he really had was a thirst for God. And that thirst cannot be satisfied with anything that this world has to offer. Only Jesus can satisfy that thirst. Jesus himself said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This thirst for God only becomes more intense and more agonizing in hell. Because I'm convinced that people are going to remember what it was that they needed more than anything else in this life. And what it was was to quench that eternal thirst, that spiritual thirst, which was Christ himself. Listen very closely. On this side of death. You and I can receive 10,000 gallons of the water of God's mercy whenever we need it. But on the other side of death, if we die without Jesus Christ, there will be none, not even one drop of mercy. Let that sink in for just a moment. God is offering you right now all the mercy you could ever want. 
But after death, there will be no more mercy. That's terrible enough. But the main point of this message is in the next statement of the rich man. He also prayed for warning for his family. After Abraham's reply, the rich man realizes there's no hope for himself. There is no way out of this existence. So his thoughts turned to his family. He had five brothers, and they were all like him. They were religious but lost. So he says, look in verse 27 and verse 28. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, interestingly, this man, now that he's in hell, suddenly develops a missionary spirit by expressing concern for the lost people in his family. It's just too bad he didn't have the same fear of hell before he died. He figured if Lazarus returned from the dead and could go to his family and could speak to his five brothers and give an eyewitness account that his family would believe and so escape eternal judgment. But look what Abraham says. His brothers have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them in verse 29. That's all they need to miss hell. What's he saying? They have the word of God. They have God's word. If they will just read God's word and just believe it, they can be saved from hell. But the rich man disagreed with Abraham and he replies, look in verse 20, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now we know that's not true because it wasn't long after this when Jesus himself was crucified on a cross. And three days later, he was resurrected. He came back from the dead. And men and women throughout the ages have continued to reject him as Savior and Lord. Truth is, when Jesus died and rose again, some believed in him, but many did not. So Abraham concluded, look in verse 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Friend, today it's not much different. People have the Bible. And we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And many still reject him. But don't overlook the concern the rich man had for his brothers. In hell, people will have a constant concern for lost people who are still alive and headed for hell. And that's something that we surely need today. A fervent, compassionate concern for people around us who are lost and headed for an imminent hell. Several years ago, <clears throat> a group
group of us, Carl and Shirley and Nancy and I and some other folks were downtown at one of those outdoor concerts. I don't know if you guys will remember this night. I don't know how many people were there that night. There were a couple of thousand at least. And all of a sudden, the lead singer of the group that was performing um, stops in the middle of their singing. A woman steps up on the stage and the band stops playing and the lead singer announces that the woman had lost their little girl. She was about four years old. She was wearing a, a pink skirt and a white t-shirt. And the lead singer asked everyone to start looking for that little girl. Immediately, everyone started looking for this little four-year-old girl wearing a pink skirt and a white t-shirt. It wasn't but just a couple of minutes after the announcement, the little girl's father in the back of the crowd holds her up and everybody sees that she's been found and they let out this great big cheer and clapping all around. There was celebration because this little girl who had been lost was found. Friend, wouldn't it be great if every Sunday when Cornerstone Baptist Church meets that in the middle of whatever activity we're doing someone says I have a lost friend I have a lost family member I have a lost co-worker I have a lost neighbor and the church becomes so concerned about that lost person knowing if they're not found knowing if they don't come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They will end up in a place of torment, eternally separated from God. And every time that one is found, there is rejoicing and celebration among the people of God. According to the Bible, there is celebration. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, I tell you, I tell you, Jesus said, there will be joy in heaven over one who repents. May we catch that fervor and that passion for the lost around us, knowing, knowing that if they die, without Christ where it is they are headed may God help us who know Christ who know because the Bible says we have the hope and the assurance that when we die we're going to heaven but let us not get so consumed with our own destination that we forget about those that God has placed in our life who do not know Christ and are not headed for a joyful destination like we all. Let's pray together.